Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, and I am joined uh, only uh, on, on his uh, on his own lonesome self, no other guests this week, by my intrepid co-host, sibling, wonderful person, Matt Willoughby. Hey, that's me. Intrepid, that's a wonderful word. Intrepid is a good descriptor for our journey together. You know, they have an intrepid class starship called the Voyager. They do. They do indeed. Cool. Yes. Yes, uh, we are here today. No guests, just and I, you and me. I feel like intrepid is one of those adjectives that like I will accept I will accept it um anytime. You know, there's for sure. There's really not a bad time to be called an intrepid individual. So. As that is I mean, as long as it's in the correct context, yeah, for sure. I would agree with that. Um felt appropriate in this instance for sure cool i'm glad that you enjoyed it how you doing matt oh i'm fantastic we've had a really good week of engagement from uh, some folks around on our twitter and uh patreon and everything so we've had a lot of fun getting to know some of our followers getting some new followers shout outs etc uh have had a good time your uh your wonderful little darling smoosh my nephew two months old yesterday had an adorable photo op uh with his link costume it was amazing. He's and, uh, he's very nearly at a point where that wasn't going to fit anymore, and uh, I got it for him when he was like a week or two old, and I was like, okay, I, he just needs to be a little bit bigger, and then we can stage this whole thing, and it's going to be cute and perfect. And um, I almost let that window expire. It's just like the growing happens really quickly. Yeah, and it's almost as if you have other things on your mind besides photo opportunities. Um, how dare you, fatherhood? Gosh. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, but hey, we got there in the end, and I I like to think that it was quite damn cute. It was quite damn cute. Very good, very good. Yeah. Also, Nintendo Direct coming up tomorrow. Oh my gosh, okay. I wonder what that could be, which we have to cover at the end of the show, because we have a whole section devoted to that. We can't cover it here. No, but- yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that's definitely true. This is one of those things that's going to fall into one of two categories. Either it will have almost nothing to do with Zelda, and we might like recap it at the end of like via editing mic at the end of this episode, or even in the next one, depending on just like how inconsequential it is to our subject matter. Right. Or if I mean, I, dear God, we can only be so lucky if we get like a trailer and a title announcement for Breath of the Wild Two or something. Mm. Then that would, uh, be fantastic. that would that would be worth maybe firing up firing up another bonus episode. Yeah, you know? we need so. to do those. So yes. Hey, listen. And that didn't happen, even sort of a little bit. Uh, so basically, this Nintendo Direct had really nothing directly to do with Zelda. The biggest takeaway that you guys will be interested in is that Nintendo 64 games are coming to Nintendo Switch's online service, and the uh, selection will include Ocarina of Time at the beginning and then Majora's Mask before too long. They didn't give a, a firm time window on Majora's Mask, but they're both coming, so that'll be just another fun way to play those two games. Um, other than that, though, it was it was really just kind of uh, very not Zelda-related at all. So, hey, maybe next one, guys. Anywho, we'll see what happens there. I, you know, I kind of feel like 
I'm not expecting to see anything from Breath of the Wild 2 at this thing. We might get a very brief tease. Um, I don't think we're going to get another or I don't think we're going to get the title announcement um, at at this. Now, that being said, Nintendo is usually pretty specific about their language. Whenever they announce these directs, they'll give you a hint as to what you're going to see based on, you know, how they word it. So, for instance, um, sometimes they'll say something like, you know, we're having a 30 minute Nintendo direct and it's focusing exclusively on games releasing before the end of the year. Right. Yeah. Which obviously I'm not saying that they've never broken that rule before in talking about something that was releasing outside of the current year, but usually they stick to it. This time around, they said that it's a 40 minute Nintendo direct and it is focusing mainly on things that are happening in the back half of 2021. So obviously that leaves a lot of wiggle room you know to, mm-hmm, to discuss mm-hmm. um anything that nintendo has going on next year in 2022 which um actually I, I think ought to be a pretty decent year for them so i think we'll get i think we'll get some really fun teases of some kind i'm just not convinced that it's breath of the wild 2 but i could be wrong um it's still very hard to accurately guess just how far away that game is i still kind of think that it's like an early fall of next year game and e3 next year is the big blowout like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. but we'll see uh the one thing everyone seems pretty unilaterally um sure about is that we're going to get some sort of announcement about at the very least game boy games um game boy game boy color titles coming to the uh to the uh, e-shop via the subscription service um there was some data mine stuff people found and it strongly points to the fact that that is on the way hey listen yeah that didn't happen either and I would really love it if they would just um, if they would just get it out, of, like get it out of the way and include Game Boy Advance games under that umbrella, you know? Right. I mean, everyone say quick prayer for us that they put uh, Minish Cap out there as well as, you know, any of the other Game Boy exclusives like the Oracle games, because we could really use those on the Switch eShop. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like. If this is true, it's almost guaranteed that the Oracle games will be on there. So that makes our lives easier at some future point. But yeah, Minish Cap is really going to be a problem for us if that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't come to the Switch sometime soon. So I don't know. We'll see. But. Emulators. I was recently reminded that emulators exist and we should do that if worse comes to worse. If worse comes to absolute worse, then I, I'm down. But like, I don't know. I, I would prefer to to play it on like an official platform or whatever, but not that you can find a cartridge these days. Well, that's the problem. I would love to play it on an official platform, but you can't find it. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. So, but yeah, that's, uh, that's tomorrow. As of this recording, you guys will already know what happens. So we do not as of this moment, but can't wait to find out. Nintendo directs are always a good time, regardless of what they uh, announce, or at least for the most part, they're usually a good time. So. Yeah, I don't think I've ever not enjoyed one. There have been some that I was more meh about, you know, some of the other Nintendo titles I don't, you know, get hyped up for. But uh, you know what? I'm always down to hear some more Nintendo news. I think we talked briefly also about the other big thing that Nintendo's uh, dropping on us before too long, which is the uh, Switch OLED model. And I mean, like I said, we discussed it last week a little bit with Sam. I don't think I ever asked you, are you planning on getting one? I would love to get one, but I recently moved into a new apartment and uh, my my rent went up a little bit. So I'm trying to see where we end up with the end of year bonus situation before I commit to any OLED purchasing. Okay, yeah, that's fair. So if I get a crispy, nice end of year bonus, then yes, that will probably go to a Switch OLED. Makes sense to me. So I think that wraps up that stuff. 
much to look forward to. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Not as much as normal. I was going to say, do we have a lot to talk about? I feel not like not as we much have as normal. Kind of not actually that much to talk it's, about. It's definitely a shorter section of the game, but yeah. it's still a plot heavy section of the game. I remember I told you right before I started writing the plot recap, it should be lighter this week. Um, it's lighter by like maybe a hundred words. <laughs> it's still a pretty plot heavy section of the it's, game. It's still a Skyward Sword plot recap, is what you're telling it, it, me. That's what I'm telling you, yeah. Okay. Um, so. You know, I know that we have this one kind of in here mostly because we knew we couldn't fit in the end of the Temple of Time through the end of the Ancient Cistern in one playthrough. That would have just been way too much. Yeah, no, exactly. So, so we had to break this up a little bit. And, yeah, and I, eh. we're and and we're actually going to have a, another section of this game where we're going to have to do this again. But yeah, um, our our typical format of just breaking it down into a dungeon section of the game is uh, it was kind of defeated by the structure of Skyward Sword. Um, as Matt said, obviously this week we're covering... Uh, the end of the Temple of Time. Yeah, the end of the Temple of Time, going into the Thunderhead, finding the Isle of Songs, and, yeah. you know, doing all that stuff. It's really it's really kind of a, um, a transitional part of this game, and it's, you know, it's comparatively short. But also it's just long enough to where if we had tried to smoosh it in with Ancient Cistern, it would have been an absolutely megaton episode. And and you would have had a 10 page, 10 page plot recap to boot. Yeah, it would have been crazy. And also, I think both of us are generally just really excited for the Ancient Cistern. Yes. Like that dungeon recap, I think, is going to be a really fun one. And I don't want to feel like we have to rush through it in order to to give all of this stuff its due. So. Right. And like this stuff is important to the story oh, and it's so fun. like we have to we yeah. have to let this section breathe a bit and like you know it it does dive into a lot of what makes skyward sword such a great game in my opinion the side quests and character development right like we get a lot of that in this section it may not be gameplay wise as chonky as we're used to but um there's still a lot packed in here from you know other viewpoints that are fun to talk about so you know we're gonna have maybe a shorter episode than normal but there's still there's still a lot here to to chew on a bit i, I, de I definitely don't want to make it sound like i didn't have fun oh for um, sure I, I did have fun so, definitely okay. yeah, yeah yeah just didn't mean to misrepresent that for up sure. front before we even get into it before we do get into it let's get some housekeeping out of the way if you didn't know sacred realms is a weekly re-examination of the legend of zelda one little slice at a time sacred realms drops every wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks every week we play a new section of a zelda game and then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes if that sounds fun to you please head over to apple podcasts hit that subscribe button and be sure to leave us a review five star reviews are greatly appreciated and they have a chance to get a shout out here on the show if you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and much, much more. Um, one other thing, we brought this up for the first time last week, but we are in the middle of a giveaway competition. Woot woot. Yeah. Get so that free stuff. If you missed it, we do have a brand new unopened pair of the Skyward Sword Joy-Cons. We're running a competition right now. There are several ways to enter. If you would like to win that pair of Skyward Sword Joy-Con, you can do one of four things. You can like us on Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter. You can sub to our Patreon or you can leave us a five-star review doing multiple 
of those things enters you multiple times to win the grand prize, all you have to do is send screen grabs of you doing those things to sacredrealmspod at gmail.com. We will check those out and we'll pick a winner uh, after our recording of next week's episode, The Ancient Cistern, and we'll make an announcement. That will be Wednesday, September 29th. Yes, so the so the competition closes at 11.59 p.m. Central Time next Tuesday. Um, so, Which is the 28th. Yeah, so. Hey, listen. Yeah, we got the dates just so completely wrong on this. <laughs> Someone brought it up uh, to us on Twitter after this episode had already gone live. So this is an update to the previous episode audio. Sorry about that, guys. The actual cutoff date for this competition is uh, the night, the, or the, sorry, the day that the Ancient Cistern episode airs, which I believe is Wednesday, October the 6th. So yeah, uh, midnight, 12 a.m. on Wednesday, October 6th is when this contest ends, and we will pick a winner um, and announce it that day. So really sorry about the confusion. We'll also post an update to our Instagram that has the correct dates as well. So the competition is not over. You have still got time. That is how long you have to enter that. Just uh, an FYI to all of the people who are currently in our Patreon who are already subbed there. Y'all have all been entered at least once. So um, if you, you know, if any of you want to do extra stuff, you know, the Instagram or Twitter or whatever and send that in, then you, you can be entered more times. But if you're in the Patreon right now, then you have got one entry into the competition. So didn't want to leave y'all out because y'all are the best and we appreciate you. And you are the reason we do this. I mean, not you in particular, but just like you as a collective entity. Yes. Yes, that is true. Lyndon, you're the reason we do this. I mean... It's all for you. I feel like Zelda is the reason that we do this. <laughs> okay, accurate. Yeah, okay. It's, it's our mutual love of, of gaming. It's the big Zelda in. in particular. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, no doubt. Okay, cool. So with that out of the way, I don't think we got any more housekeeping to get through other than a reminder that all of the Link's Awakening cards have been designed. You've seen them all at this point. They're off to the printer. Uh, I'm hoping to get those next week, and then Matt and I are going to turn those around real darn quick and get them all out to you because y'all have been waiting longer than you really should have been for that. So, how dare you have a child and delay the uh, artistic fruits of your creation? Well, you know what, Matt? That's uh, that that sounds like excuses to me, and I will not allow myself to fall into the pit of excuse making. So. Here we are. They're they're done and you will have them soon. Uh, Skyward Swords design should be getting revealed either next week or the week after for the month of September. So and then you'll get another one for the month of October. Yeah. So look forward to that. Actually, I wonder, do we have does our Skyward Sword production schedule poke into November at all? I don't know. I'd have to look at it again. I okay. don't remember. It, it might. It actually might. It's a long enough game that it's, it's entirely possible. Either way, you get at least two, maybe three Skyward Sword uh, cards. To be determined at a later date. Anywho, that is all that we've got for housekeeping. Without further ado, let's just talk about what we played. That, of course, always happens in the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we're covering Skyward Sword Chapter 5, which includes the Isle of Songs, the Thunderhead, the first fight with the Imprisoned, all that fun stuff. So, um... Let's see. Part one of the Sacred Realms rundown is, of course, the plot recap as read by Matt. We're really giving him a workout this season, and I think that continues today. So indeed, let's let the man do his thing. It's all you, Matt. 
As we leave the Temple of Time to return to the sky, the weight of Zelda's absence weighs heavily on us. Having traveled through the gates of time, we know she is further away than ever before. But the advice of Impa guides us to our next location so that we can hopefully find a path forward to bring us closer to our dear friend once again. Without as much as a pit stop in Skyloft, we fly straight to the sealed grounds to speak to the old woman. As we dive back down to the surface, we hear an odd yet familiar screaming that seems to be following us as we descend. We look behind us and see the ridiculous pompadour of our arch-nemesis, Groose, flying directly at us out of the clouds. As he grapples onto our legs and drags us down even faster towards the ground, it's all we can do to grab the sailcloth to slow our descent enough to not die. As we land in a crumpled heap with Groose's indignant exclamations about a rough landing, we gingerly rise to find ourselves in the clearing between the sealed grounds and the Farron Woods. Groose looks around and quickly realizes that we aren't in Skyloft anymore, Toto. With a scream of terror, exclamations about all the trees, little birds, and our dear friend Goro the Goron, who happens to walk by at that very moment, he basically loses his cool entirely. After a lengthy explanation about the surface and our adventure up to this point, Groose's mind is thoroughly blown. I just want to say, like, everything that takes place between the, the cutscene where he falls on top of you in the middle of the sky down to him running off into the sealed temple, like, this whole chunk is just such peak why we love Groose. Absolutely. Oh, it's hysterical. It's all so so great. Yeah. He's like the right kind of comic relief, right? Like his comic relief can sometimes be too campy or like immature, but he's just like the right level of obnoxiously funny. I love when they're ridiculous. I know. I love when they're about to lead into the whole cliche thing where it's like, oh, you find out how Hyrule gets its name, you know? Oh, dude, I I have that next. You can't, you can't spoil it. Okay, go, go, go. (laughs) However, He quickly recovers his obnoxious and unearned swagger, declaring that this new land should be called Grooseland, and then surreptitiously dismisses us back to Skyloft so that he can take over the search for Zelda. It's just so funny because it's like the way that they build up the scene and the framing of it and everything, uh, they kind of drag out the dialogue box and they make you think like, oh man, are we going to name, like obviously they call it the surface, are we about to name it? Hyrule right now and then they drop Grooseland you're like oh god and then they, you get the like womp womp of Grooseland's theme this is like He heads off towards the sealed grounds to do just that. We enter the temple shortly after Groose, just in time to hear his grumbles about how he is not, in fact, in any position to take over the search for Zelda. After a brief aside about all of that drama, the old woman turns to us and starts to teach us how to use the harp that Zelda gifted us before passing through the gate. Following her lead, we strum the harp as she sings a familiar song. At the conclusion of the song, which she calls the Ballad of the Goddess, a massive stone monolith rises from the floor. The symbol of Hylia is emblazoned upon it, and the material is eerily similar to the gateway Zelda passed through in the Temple of Time. Sure enough, the old woman confirms that this is the last remaining gateway of time in existence, and it has laid dormant here for millennia. 
As she explains all of this, a massive rumbling shakes the entire temple around us. The old woman says that she expected this to some extent, and that the seal, which we strengthened on our first visit to this place, has broken in response to the waking of this gate of time. In order to safeguard this temple and the gate within, we must again strengthen the seal that holds back the dark and evil presence below. Running outside, we jump to the bottom of the crater, but too late. The massive, scaled, tar-black monster from our nightmares springs out of the ground before us, roaring its triumph and rage at the sky. We must hurry and seal this creature back into its prison before it reaches the temple and destroys our only path to Zelda. Using the wind gusts, we jump to higher levels above the creature and glide down upon its head. From this vantage point, we can strike the ceiling spike that is still embedded in its head to strengthen the ceiling magic. After a few times of exercising our smashing skills, the beast is defeated. It shatters into a thousand shiny carapace-like fragments, which shoot back into the bottom of the crater from whence they came. The ceiling spike hovers in place, ready to be driven deep within the ground. With a skyward strike and a locking motion from the goddess's blade, we once again seal the monster within its cage. Returning to the old woman at the temple, she tells us that the beast we locked away is called the Imprisoned, and that it was sealed here a millennia ago by the power of the goddess Hylia, in an attempt to safeguard the land from its ravaging hunger for destruction. The Imprisoned constantly attempts to break its chains, and will eventually break free again. It is therefore our immediate task to locate three sacred flames to empower our sword to its fullest might. Only then can we open the gate of time and find Zelda. The clue that will lead us to these flames is woven into the song that we just learned, the Ballad of the Goddess, and can be taught only by someone from Skyloft who knows its history. So back to the sky we go, to speak to the wisest person we know. <laughs> that rhymed. Headmaster Gepora, Zelda's father, is the keeper of almost all knowledge pertaining to Hylia, the ancient past, and the sword that we now hold. After we give him a brief recap of the adventure so far, explaining how his daughter has traveled to the distant past, and that we need to know how to improve the sword that we wield, he tells us all that he knows about the Ballad of the Goddess. The final lines of the song tell us to guide the two great whirling sails to the light tower, and from thence we shall be led to the place where the Song of Legend dwells. Taking this clue, we look around Skyloft to see what could fit the bill. Immediately, the two windmills jump out to us, and using our new gust bellows, we turn the one closest to the academy towards the tower that lies near the bazaar, and we get a satisfying musical tone and a glow from the tower. Heading towards the other one on the far side of the island, we see that the propeller is not even attached. Luckily, our friend Jackamar is there to tell us how that propeller must have fallen off years ago below the clouds, and that if we want it back, he had heard a rumor that Gondo's family has a flying robot that used to be able to haul stuff around from beneath the clouds. So off we head to the bazaar to see Gondo, about this flying robotic wonder. After giving him one of our ancient flowers that we got from the Lanayru Desert, he's able to get the snarky and largely annoying robot up and running. Luckily for us, this snarky little guy seems to have a rather large crust on our companion, Fee, and is willing to do whatever she asks. Using this robotic romance to our advantage and a bit of Fee's dowsing ability, we head to find the propeller. Fee's dowsing points us to the Elden region, and once there, we scour the land to find our quarry. Once we locate it near the entrance to the Earth Temple, Fee calls our snarky friend to come retrieve it and take it back above the clouds for us. Once there, Jackamar is happy to reattach the propeller to its rightful home, and we point the windmill at the light tower as well. Once we do, the top section of the tower rises, revealing a new level and a mirror with the symbol of Hylia on it. We head to the tower, and Fee encourages us to play the Ballad of the Goddess on our harp. 
As we do, Fee sings the lyrics that the old woman taught us, and upon completion of the song, the tower rotates to point the mirror directly at the massive thunderhead that has always loomed on the horizon. A beam of pure light shoots through the mirror and hits the cloud barrier, opening it up for us to pass through. Following the supernatural beam of light, we enter the Thunderhead, and true to its name, the place is full of storms, strong winds, and even some dangerous enemies. We fly to where the beam of light is hitting another tower, and there we find a puzzle of floating islands that we must align in order to get to the main tower. After a brief brief exercise of critical thinking, we gain entry. Entering this tower, we see only a massive expanse of empty room, but heading to the other side, we strike the floating symbol of Hylia with a skyward strike, and up from the bottomless chasm rises a gigantic statue of the goddess herself. As it comes to a stop, Fee comes out of our sword to tell us that this action has unlocked a memory deep within her. He who seeks the sacred flame, listen well, for I guide you from my place at the edge of time. The sacred flames are three in number. To obtain them, you must also obtain the relics known as the three sacred gifts. For each trial you overcome, you will be blessed with one of these gifts. Make use of the power of these gifts and you will find your way to the purifying sacred flames. Now I bestow upon you a melody. It will serve you as a key, opening the first trial that awaits you deep in the wilds of Farron Woods. As the music plays, Fee dances along the room and we strum the harp in tune. At the end of the performance, we have learned the song Faror's Courage. With these riddles in mind and the new melody ready to go, we head off to Farron Woods to find this trial and the first of the sacred flames. Mameep, 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 mameep. That's all, folks. Okay, I did not like that. No, 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 no. I was a fan. Okay, well, you keep it in there if you want. Yeah. I edit everything, so it's really down to me when you, uh, you know, when you think about it. I mean, that's true, but ah, that's cheesy. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. That's I'm going to keep it in. Okay. You know what? You know what? Yeah. 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 Okay. Anywho, this has been the plot recap as read by Matt. Let's get into part two, which is our takes. Matt, how did you enjoy this section? No, you of the get game? to go first. My voice needs a rest. Does it? Okay. Well, I guess that's only fair. Um, generally speaking, I did enjoy all of this. I think what you were saying at the top of the show is right. Um, even though a lot of this could be construed as filler like just in terms of overall game design um it doesn't i mean and and the reason that you could make that argument is because it doesn't really fall neatly into any category that we typically play a zelda game for it doesn't require a great deal of puzzle solving it has no dungeon exploration it uh no boss fights no, no boss fight no no, yeah. uh, no items Almost, like yeah no combat really um no overworld exploration for the most part it's all like it's all you're you're guided pretty pretty linearly from one section of this to the next but the saving grace of it is that some fun story stuff does happen in here and it really it's elevated by the fact that the characters are so good and that's true of a lot of things in this game um this is the first time that i think the characters have had to kind of carry a whole narrative section just on their own charm and uh and so you know i think i think i i think they're able to for the most part but also, I would be lying if I said that I didn't use this as an opportunity to also just get like a lot of side quest stuff done because I finished the main stuff really quickly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when it comes right down to it, this entire section to me is just a plot furthering device that they try to elongate. It's got, by- a, it's got a boss fight. I don't know what we were talking about. It's got the imprisoned. Oh, ha! <laughs> 
<laughs> and let me tell you, the fight with the imprisoned is so good that it was clearly just that memorable for us. And it also requires that we do it three times because it was so good. God, I really hate the imprisoned. Yeah, the imprisoned sucks. It's the worst. <laughs> like, really, it just is. It's uh, awful. Anyway, um, so I want to go. What was I saying? I was my train of thought. <laughs> it was a, uh, oh, yeah, this is a this is a plot furthering section of the game that they just elongated by throwing in like three MacGuffins for you to do like go from temple of time to the sealed grounds, talk to the old woman, fight the imprisoned, go back to the clouds, talk to Gabe Hora, figure out the riddle, do the, do the windmill. Then you got to go find the windmill propeller. But to do that, you have to go activate the robot, which if you don't have the treasure metal, and you don't have a um, ancient flower, if then you, you got to go back to Lanayru and figure out how to find one. If you were paying any amount of attention in the Lanayru Desert region, even if you didn't have the treasure medal, you should have been able to pick up at, at least, least one, one ancient right? flower. I mean, theoretically, yes. But let's not pretend that some people may not have, right? It's entirely possible that you didn't. Sure. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Um, so I, like, There's just a lot of steps that just weren't, entirely necessary in my opinion um specifically i really don't like the um the fetch questy mechanics related to our snarky robot friend like everything that he does outside of outside of the one time he transports the bucket of sacred water for the water dragon everything that he does is straight up side questy mcguffin related that i just like don't like Uh, that's fair uh, I mean, the stuff that he has to do and the fact that it takes time to do it is certainly not my favorite thing in the world. I really like the character of Scrapper a lot. Like, really? Yeah, I think he's kind of annoys me. I think I think he's funny. Um, Master Short Pants Master gets Short old <laughs> after a while, in my <laughs> no, opinion. Oh, I love it. Are you kidding? <laughs> His obsession with Fee is funny. Yeah, I love it when he calls Link Master Short Pants. <laughs> I, I almost always get his pants aren't even it. short. I don't get it. It's not. It's like not even. It's not even accurate. <laughs> hey, Gatsby. Hey, buddy. What are we doing? See, Gatsby doesn't like um, Scrapper either. Gatsby uh, is entitled to his opinion, but he does not have a platform on this podcast. <laughs> so, No, I mean, you're right. None, none of this stuff is impactful, I would say. And in and of itself, none of it is even that fun to do from a minute to minute gameplay perspective. Yeah. Um, I wish that there had been maybe some more critical thinking required in figuring out how to do a lot of this. I mean, you said one of the steps is that you have to figure out Gaipora's riddle. And I think it could only very generously even be called a riddle. It's, yeah, it's not. It's really not. <laughs> it's uh, the two great sales. OK, well, hmm. Wonder what that could be. It's, you know, I would say that for the most part, solving, you know, side quests or this isn't even a side quest solving solving um things related to the main quest are nowhere near as hard in skyward sword as they are in any other mainline zelda game like i can't think of i can't think of a single time that i had to like scratch my head of how to progress further in the skyward sword story well this is all this is zelda at its at its greatest amount of handholdy bs for sure right for sure 
And that and that was one of our big you and I knew that we were going to be facing this like that was one of the things that we said going into this game that we knew was going to happen and we weren't excited about it. And, yeah. you know, now we're here and, and we're not excited about still it. Not it's excited still about not it. excited. And, you know, it's funny because there's even a section where after Jackamar tells you that the propeller fell off beneath the clouds at one point in the distant past, Fee pops out of the sword and goes, we should probably find that propeller. No, like I was just going to not do that. I don't know. Like it just doesn't seem necessary. Right. Eh, meh, whatever. Yeah, it's definitely there's a fine line to walk between a game being so obtuse that it's frustrating and you just waste time trying like a ton of time trying to figure out what to do. And like that's and- how I felt about a lot of the Link's Awakening item trading quest that you had to do to progress like there were sections of that item trading quest the first time i did it that i had no clue whatsoever how to move forward with well, it and it's just one of those things where in a game especially i i think what a lot of this comes down to is the fact that there is no persistent overworld to explore to right. explore because in a game like link's awakening or link to the past or i mean even even like, ocarina of time even ocarina like even some of the 3d games twilight princess like um that the fact that you can just like walk out and explore this without having to go through like cutscenes and to transition from one part of the world to the next and when like it's able you're they're able to do it because uh, it's just easier to explore. But here in Skyward Sword, I feel like maybe the designers of the game were being cautious about how indirect a lot of these references were just because they knew that like, okay, if we don't make it obvious, then we're going to have people flying from like, they're, they're going to fly to Lanayru, look around, not find anything. Then they're going to go back to the sky and then go check somewhere else. And what if they don't find it there? Then they yeah. have to go back to the sky. And, and again, I mean, like, I appreciate that 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 thought occurred to them that that wouldn't be very fun and a huge waste of time. But also it goes back to my main criticism for this game, which is just that like I wish there was more to explore. Yeah, there. I mean, it, it, even if the sky was a more interesting place, the propeller could have been like on one of the sky islands or something. And it would have yeah. been fun to go find it up there. I mean, yeah. Or even like I think it would have been very easy to make the, you know, the the riddle regarding the windmills less obvious or you know take out fee's whole thing of we should probably go find the propeller take out jackamar's thing about it fell beneath the clouds like oh that propeller fell off a long time ago like you know you can do things that still kind of point in a general direction but don't make it so easy that a second grader could figure yeah it out. i mean this this game the bottom line is that this game does not have a viable enough exploratory component to support that kind of puzzle solving that's true and that, that's totally true uh, you know and that's kind of a shame and this will it'll always come back to this with our discussion of this game for people who play zelda games for the exploration now more than ever i understand why you don't like skyward sword for sure i, I totally totally get it yeah um and if you hate fetch quests um which i personally hate fetch quests this is like the this is probably one of the most boring sections of the game for you yeah now that being said um, we're gonna get into a section later where it's even worse (laughs) even worse yeah that god man that's gonna be such a downer the the title the title of it is literally kill me now on our um (laughs) on our uh, on our schedule yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh my gosh i'm so unenthused to play that section of the game Uh, tad tones yeah oh god it's the worst but look here's the deal um 
Matt's in my perspective is coming from a place of like at, at the very base, we just like being in the world of Zelda. We like the lore. We like the environment. Um, and this game has a lot of things that reward you if that's where you're approaching it from. And it's not enough for me to say that I think this is like a standout section of the game or anything. Like I think this section of the game has a fair amount of problems. And again, maybe maybe these problems aren't super pronounced unless you're running a podcast where you're breaking down the game week by week as we are. As we, yeah, where we have to spend an entire hour long episode talking about this section of the game. Yeah, we're going to notice these issues more acutely because we have to sit down and objectively talk about it. Linda and I have both stated Skyward Sword is in our top three or five Zelda games that we've ever played, but that doesn't mean we can just sit here and gloss over the issues that it has. And this section has a lot of those things that we don't like and that we understand that other people don't like. So objectively speaking, this section of the game has some pronounced issues. Would you say that... The lows in Skyward Sword are lower than in most Zelda games. I absolutely would. Yeah. I mean, like, just literally, we titled a section of our schedule, Kill Me Now. Like, come on, guys. It doesn't get much lower than that. Yeah. But I also think that that is equally offset by... It's it's next-gen. It has the next-gen syndrome, right? Where... When when it's at its peak, you are, of course, referring to Star Trek, the next generation, pop culture, classic Star Trek, the next generation. Yeah. Also known as the greatest television show ever made by humans. That is your very strong. Wow. That is a take. Wow. That is a take. OK, I love it. So I'll much. let it stand. But like we talk, we've talked about this a lot is like Star Trek, the next generation. It When it, it is at its height, it is the best that Star Trek has ever been or probably will ever be. But when it's at its low I'm thinking season one, episode two. Man, there's some real. There's some real bad dick going on in there, right? Like, but the ratio, while it kind of wavers at the end of the day, in my opinion, I come away from Skyward Sword as a whole saying that's my favorite Zelda game. And like, yeah, it's got some low points, but like and what it brings to the table is so different. And even in this section, what it brings to the table from a story perspective, from a character perspective, from a lore perspective is really still pretty top tier. Oh yeah, definitely. No, the storytelling that's happening here is good. Like there is a, there is a definitely a sense of, um, there's like a frantic quality to everything that's happening. You know, when you get to the sealed grounds and the woman in the temple is telling you, Oh my gosh, the seal is breaking. You need to go you, you like you need to go, you have to go stop it. that before he destroys the temple. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff like that happening that really does have narrative weight to it if nothing else. Um, you know, it's it, the air is let out of the room just a little bit once you start realizing that um narratively like <laughs> um once you start realizing that narratively you know, it's just an excuse to get us into this area of the game that they like they have it on the map. And so they're like, well, we've got to use it as much as we can. And, you know, and yeah. the thing that they chose to use it for is a pretty <laughs> the imprisoned boss fight, yeah, which sucks, a pretty uninspired boss fight, to be completely honest. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely some wavering going on there, some highs and some lows. Um and yeah, I just don't think that there's any any way around that. But yeah, for sure. But yeah, overall, some really cool story stuff here. I know we already talked about it in the plot recap, but the redemption arc of Groose really begins in this section of the game. Yep. And that's like one of the most satisfying narrative through lines 
throughout the entire rest of the game and for sure it, it's just like it's so fun to watch and i do I, it, really the narrative is told very competently from a tone standpoint absolutely they have no issues whatsoever vacillating between you know uh, urgent frenzy and then light uh lightweight humor and you know and everything in between and it all lands i think the way that it needs to so. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. And I think one of the main things for me here is the almost immediate transformation that Groose undergoes from his really, as I said, like unearned swagger that he has where he's he thinks he's the hero of this story. And then he sees Link go and fight the imprisoned and seal it back into its uh, magical cage. And at the end of that sequence where um, the old woman explains to Link what he needs to do next, Groose is like, well, I see what you mean. Link is definitely the hero. I guess I don't have anything to do. And he goes from this just tip, tip top, overly confident, obnoxious person to like, he's straight up depressed about and feeling useless and feeling like powerless, which he's never felt before. And you see a very human transition there um, that, you know, starts him on that path. I didn't mention that transition there in my plot recap, but um it's is really um it's really a stark contrast that um is a really cool reaction to something that has taken place in the game world, right? You can see the characterization of Groose react to what has just taken place within the game. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that when you start this game, your impression is that Groose is gonna be our token toxic masculinity yeah, bully character, you know? Yeah. And uh, you know, that I guess the the about face from that to who Groose actually is as a character starts here, and it's a it's a really satisfying arc for that character. So, Agreed. so that's all really good stuff. Um, and also, I think just something that kind of goes unnoticed is the old woman kind of even now sees through Groose's what I really think is a, a show that he puts on. She she sees through that, and in his moment of like, I guess I'm just useless. She's like, you know, she kind of gives him some encouragement as he's leaving. Like I. That's not true, my friend. You will find your part in this story. Like, you know, kind of the encouraging, wise um, Gandalf character, right? Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Um, what do you think? Let's get into a, the thing that we uh, – the, the main item that we use in this section of the game, which is this game's musical instrument. Mm, yeah. And uh, – which is, of course, the goddess harp. Uh, I mean, how do you feel about the goddess harp and the canon of magical instruments in Zelda games? I think the goddess harp is really cool. I wish there was a better way to play it. Um, obviously, this comes from the limitation of the Wii at the time that it was made, where the, all you do is strum in time. Um, I I like, for example, the ocarina and um, ocarina of time better, where you have the, you know the combination of keys and to you learn have to songs. like memorize some. Yeah. yeah. So like from a utilization mechanic, it's kind of lackluster. But when you look at the lore behind it, what it represents, and honestly, the music that you play with it, it's really cool. Um, and also, I think it's a really neat inter- instrument. Um, I've always liked harps and the, the the sound they produce is very pure and very resonant and um, they capture it very well in this game. Um, the music that you play with the harp is, um, you know, in in my case unanimously excellent so yeah um i will say i I definitely agree with you i wish that there was some input required besides just strumming yeah to play songs uh and this is one of the instances of things where i think that the button layout is actually 
less of a i mean it, it's, i was gonna say that yeah. It's, yeah it's less fun to play the harp with the stick and button layout than it is with joy con or the wii motion plus yes. because with the disconnected joy con or the wii motion plus you actually have to strum the thing in time yeah. and that creates like a cool kinetic action um that is and it's actually easier so i i did this was one of the times that i played non-handheld was i just literally undocked the the switch controls and i i, st- I put the thing on my coffee table and i did the first time i did it in the sealed temple i did the stick motion and then when i did it on the um uh the light tower i was just like yeah i'm gonna try it so i undocked it and used the the switch um joy cons it was much easier and much more satisfying uh, yeah. with the motion controls and i do think the ballad of the goddess is i mean I, we have to have said this before in this season but the ballad of the goddess is a great song it's an excellent piece of music and i it's one of my all-time favorite zelda themes mm-hmm. um Faror's courage i couldn't even tell you what that song sounds like off the top of my head right now i mean i can't either but i remember when i was going into this section thinking like ah, Faror's courage wasn't that great and then i heard it and i was like yeah it's still pretty good now it doesn't stick in my mind the way ballad of the goddess does but like i came away from that you know, learning it and i was like yeah, good. It was good. Yeah, but I mean, I don't good. know. I guess I'm I'm holding this all up to the standard of the Link Sheik duets in Ocarina, which is yeah, not easy <laughs> to to top, right? Yeah, and I mean that that happened on a on a Nintendo 64 game made in 1998. So I feel That's like true. I feel like they really should have been able to I don't know make those uh, carry a little bit more of emotional weight mm-hmm. than, than they do. But I think a little bit is lost there because of the way that Fee's vocalization is very robotic and it's not as, it's not as human as what you get from the duet between the Nakarena and Sheik's harp, which coincidentally looks quite a lot like the goddess's harp. Well, it's in, if, I mean, if you, if you own a copy of Hyrule Historia, which you should, it's an excellent little book. It is the harp, isn't it? Yeah, it's the same harp. It's the same harp. Yeah. yeah it's the, passed down through the royal family generation to generation. Yeah, the goddess harp is the same harp that Sheik has in Ocarina of Time. So that's cool, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, it's super really awesome. Neat, but yeah. Uh, so anyway, I think I would say that I, I like the goddess harp as a narrative device and the sound that it makes is cool. Like the sound design around it is cool. But I mean, look, if you're stacking it up against um, the Ocarina of Time or any of the instruments from Majora's Mask or even, even like the Wind Waker, which isn't an instrument, it's a baton, but like even that has some memorization required to, to right. do specific things and i don't know i just i think functionally it's one of my least favorite musical instruments in the zelda series functionally i would have to agree with you yes so and you can't use it just whenever you want yeah that, that's the thing like it has no it has no function in the actual moment to moment gameplay of skyward sword which i think is another huge miss because all these other instruments i mean ocarina of time specifically like you know, you learn Warp songs. around. Yeah, you learn songs and they do things for you. Man, it would be fun. so cool if you were able to use the goddess harp to warp from Elden Volcano to Lanayru Desert yeah, instead but- <laughs> of having to go back up to the sky and fly over there and jump down. Like, But again, if you do that, then from a game design perspective, you're sitting here like, well, why do we have the sky? Like- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it's, in some ways, if you just play Ocarina of Time story point to story point, you could really avoid Hyrule Field a good chunk of the time once you learn warp songs yeah it's really just a shame i feel like had skyward sword been made five years even just five years later um yeah you could have had a connected surface overworld and still had the sky yeah totally 
you know, it, it would have all been fine. Because it all does come down to size limitations, right? Like it has to have, it has to at least be somewhat related to file size limitations. Like it, I don't know if that's tr- totally true or not, but in my mind, it has to at least play a part. I, you you have to think that it does. I mean, the Wii was a very interesting console, but it was certainly not a powerful console. I mean, Nintendo consoles are always at a power disadvantage to all of their contemporaries. Yeah. But the Wii especially, I think, was pretty underpowered, especially when you stacked it up against the 360 and the and, PS3. And for so. what it was trying to do with an innovative motion control design where nothing like that existed. So, like, you know, they were trying to package in this new type of um, – gameplay this new type of control mechanic and then they're trying to throw in a gorgeous zelda game with a fully orchestrated soundtrack which takes which is huge file sizes and you know i think there was time constraints there was file size constraints it all comes down to like it was just yeah Skyward, it, it was trying to do a lot on a console that it probably should have been on a different console to so, be 100 honest yeah i mean skyward sword is absolutely a zelda game for a wii sports era you know yeah, I totally agree. When you think about you, it. You know, Mario Tennis and then Zelda Skyward Sword. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what a transition. So, okay. All right. Well, I, I'm trying to think if we've got any any more juice that we can really squeeze out of the R takes section of this. I mean, I do, you, nah, do you have anything I, else you want to? I, I think we pretty much covered it. Narratively, good. Uh, mechanically, not great. Um, Lore-wise, story-wise, great. Yeah. Yeah. So part three, the dungeon map has uh, taken some PTO. It's having a little personal time this week. And, uh, <laughs> and we, we sent it to a beach. <laughs> yeah, the dungeon map will return next week. Um, uh, mostly due to the fact that we there's will not have, a dungeon. <laughs> yeah, mostly due to the fact that we will have an actual dungeon next week. So. And we could talk about the imprisoned boss fight, but we're not going to because we're not going to give it. No, okay, we're not going to give right. it. The, we're not going to give Would it the grace. Matt, actually. Just Fine, be, just we, should, we should talk about just it. Just because we need to. Tell us how the imprisoned boss fight goes, and then let's just like move past it. Gigantic black tar monster. Ooh, it looks a lot like... Armus the, from Yes, yeah, yeah, there we go, yeah. Gigantic black tar monster comes out of the ground, spouts some marshmallow-looking toes. Kills Tasha Yar. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Tasha. Gone before her time. Denise Crosby regretted that one. Yeah, no kidding. She regretted it so much, she came back as a different character. <laughs> Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, man. We do a lot of that, don't we? We really, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, uh, gigantic black tar monster, marshmallowy toes, um, smack the toes until they pop, knock him on his belly, hit the spike, or if you want to be fancy, uh, use the little wind gusts, go up to the next level, jump on top of his head, smack the, smack the spike in its forehead, do that three times, and then uh, send him back to the ground. And then I do think the uh, do the ceiling motion was kind of neat. Oh, the an- yeah, that so that whole draw the triangle and then the animation when hit, Link, yeah, yeah, he does a, cool. he does a sword swash and like yeah, it's awesome. Guides the spike back and, into the ground, it's and cool. it gets cooler as you progress because the the um, ceiling um, motions get more um, complex, and so that gets kind of fun. I, I like. I mean, I just find it kind of I mean, yeah. No, it's it's, <laughs> it's neat, uh, but it's neat. It's neat, but this is like I mean. I'll tell you what I would rather them have done, though, is instead of making me fight the imprisoned three times, just make me steal the spike three times with increasingly complex, complex sword swipes. Like, just skip the boss fight part and just make me do that. 
I mean, really, though, from a boss fight perspective, especially in a game that has such good boss fights, this one, like playing just sucks playing it. It feels like watching paint dry. It's so slow and boring. And And there's a whole like stamina management part of the fight where you have to like sprint around and you have to be semi clever and about using your um, wind gusts. And it's just like, ugh. Boring. Yeah. Tedious. GTFO imprisoned. We seriously just never come back. We were better off without you. But then he turns into the best boss of all time, in my opinion. That is definitely a big about face. No doubt about it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that was part two, our takes. Let's move into some somewhere we can actually get a little conversation going. Part four, which is where we talk side quests. Matt, what side quests did you get up to I this week? I did so many side quests. Um, man, where to start? So, obviously, um, I went and spent a ton of rupees at Beetle's Airshop. I bought everything that I could. The only thing I didn't buy from Beetle this time is the third, fourth pouch. It was like 19, it was like 1300 rupees or something. Yeah. And I didn't buy that. Um, the first one I did though, I started the quest for our friend Fledge to help him get big and swole. Poor guy. He's trying so hard. Um, he just needs a little bit of, he needs some roids to help him out. Like if you're basically Fledge's drug dealer. <laughs> you supply him with steroids to help him get swole. No, the stamina potion is made with all natural ingredients, Matt. It's non-GMO. So are steroids, like technically. <laughs> I mean, it's like at their base level. Oh, man. Um, oh, I helped um, Pippet's mom clean her house, which it's probably at the beginning to some porno somewhere. Um, dust my house, Link. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. Are you happy? I am, actually. Are you pleased with yourself? I am a little bit, yeah. Um, so doing those two things got me up to 30 gratitude crystals. So I went to our friend Batreau or Batreau or however you pronounce it. I don't know. It depends on how, how French you are. Um, and I got the gigantic, the big wallet, which holds a thousand rupees. Um, and then with the three other extra wallets or with the two extra wallets that I have, plus the base, I now can hold 1900 rupees, which just seems excessive in my opinion. Sure. Cool. Um, I mean, I guess it's, it's useful if you, um, if you're breaking a ton of shields, it's good for that. But I mean, also in fairness, there's a lot of things that you can buy off a of Beatles airship that are kind of um, extremely expensive. Yeah, they're on a very steep ramp up in price from one to the next. So like, like the adventure pouches. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's not like there's nothing to spend your rupees on. But uh, yeah, yeah, 1900 is just excessive. Yeah. Um, obviously, that also grants you the cursed metal, which I never use because it prevents you from using your shield. So what does the cursed metal do? Um, when holding the curse metal, rupees and treasure were, will appear far more often, um, but it prevents you from using your adventure pouch. So um, if you ever get to a place where you do break a bunch of shields and you're trying to upgrade them again, throw on a cursed metal and you will find like the treasures. It's like extremely common. It's I don't want to say it's like every other enemy you kill, but it's like one in five. So, yeah, definitely useful. I mean, if you're for in a very uh, specific circumstance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I. Oh, oh, I'm not done yet. OK. Yeah, oh, keep going. No, yeah. So uh, I did all of that. And then I also decided to further my uh, use of Scrapper. And I went and saved the um, 
oh, the Fun Fun Island guy. He drops his little wheel. Yeah. So I went and got that, and I did the Fun Fun Island, and on my very first try, I got all of the bonus rings, and I landed on the jackpot square on my very first try, which is the first time I've ever done that. I normally have a very hard time with this. This, uh, the Fun Fun Island minigame is a bajillion times easier on uh, stick layout. It's so much easier than motion control. Holy cow. It was actually kind of fun. So I haven't done that yet. I'm excited to get to it because I I don't believe I ever actually have gotten around to doing the Fun Fun Island any of the previous times I played this game. Yeah, so if you so what you do is if you get all of the rings, you get a times 10 multiplier and if you land on the jackpot square which is 50 rupees, yeah. you get 500 rupees and a piece of heart. Yeah, you know, these kinds of mini games in Zelda games, it's kind of hit or miss for me on whether or not I engage with them. For instance, like the canon the canon game in Twilight Princess. Yeah, that one's always a little hard. Or, the, or, or I guess it, it's not canon, it's the they have a canon, but mm-hmm. it's um the cuckoo flying yeah, but he still Cocos. shoots you out of a yeah. cannon. So any, anyway, I never really do that one. Um, but sometimes I really get into them. I mean, in, in Majora's Mask, they have this great way of incentivizing you to beat different mini games on each day of the week. And then you get a yeah, reward. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's super cool. Yeah, and it's fun because you're just like, oh, well, I mean, now I, that's I like could, a challenge. I, I want to do that. Yeah, I want to do it every day for each each of the main mini games. It's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, but this one I've never messed around with before. I will. I'll, I'll get around to it. Yeah. Um, I also did Colin's... Um, love note side quest um you have the opportunity to take his love note and give it to the hand in the bathroom okay so i i did not do that this time this, i normally do this but was, I didn't this, do was, that this, this was the big side quest that i did this week too is the collins love note quest and um i actually didn't even know that it was collins love note quest i knew that it was the hand in the bathroom part of this game which the hand in the bathroom is a recurring character in zelda games it's hilarious yeah it's it's like one of the funniest recurring jokes in all of zelda is this hand that just comes out of the toilet and wants paper desperately and the games are always very oblique about like why does the hand want paper it's in the toilet (laughs) (laughs) yeah so anyway bathroom jokes i did that i did give the love note to the hand in the (laughs) toilet just because i i want to support this ongoing uh this ongoing side character that's fair (laughs) me being the hopeless romantic that i am i decided to um play it out uh and uh unite karina karane I don't know how you pronounce that. K-A-R-A-N-E. I don't know. Karen? <laughs> sure, Karen. Karen! There you go, Karen. We'll go with Karen. Uh, I decided to unite Karen and Pippet in uh, love. And uh, it worked out to their benefit and to Colin's detriment. So nothing works out for Colin. No, Colin never has a good time. Because if you give the paper to the hand in the toilet, the the hand in the toilet goes and like caresses Colin at it's night. Terrifying. It's like like it's very uncomfortable. Like if you if you go through this the way that I did, and yeah, you give the letter to the hand in the toilet, it reads the letter at some point and falls in love with Colin. And so if you go into Colin's room at night, then this basically disembodied glove that looks like master hand from smash bros yeah but female basically you've tied colin for the rest of his life to a like a toilet a, ghost a horny love toilet ghost it's just it's just very creepy i don't like it ah, it's so, gross i feel sort of bad that i did that to colin but <laughs> it's funny yeah it is really it's, it's really funny. funny um no that, i mean that's a really fun side quest uh any others for you matt um, so apparently you can get up to 40 gratitude crystals in this section of the game and get a gold rupee from Batro. I did not do that. Um, I did go collect a bunch of goddess chests and one, in one of them, there's a silver rupee and in one of them, there's a gold rupee. Hey, how do you get to the goddess chest? It's on Skyloft and it's in a, 
a, a pen. You have you have to have the digging um, mitts. No, you have to have the um, dragon scale that you get in the next section of the game oh, to swim okay. underwater. Gotcha. Yep. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Yep. I, I so, couldn't get to it, and I didn't know why. I also max upgraded my wooden shield and my iron shield, and I bought the sacred shield. Okay, yes, I did. So I had already max upgraded the wooden shield, but I upgraded my iron shield and bought the sacred shield as well. So I mean, I've said it before, the whole shield upgrade mechanic in this game is, fun. is really fun, and so I always upgrade all of them to the max. And, you know, I typically don't ever use them all. I, I think once I get to the point where I've got the sacred shield uh i typically just use that for the rest of the game until i get the hylian shield but yeah for sure um and then the last thing i did was the last piece of the lumpy pumpkin chandelier which you have to play the harp in time with the two guys who are there listening to uh whatever her name is sing that whole thing is very odd and i'm I'm a band nerd and i have a very hard time following their rhythm Mm. it doesn't make any sense but after two tries uh i successfully completed that got a piece of heart and the lumpy pumpkin got a brand new chandelier well there you go cool i mean yeah all in all lots of side quests one of the one of the things that i think is very fun about skyward sword is that the gratitude crystal side quests specifically tend to have a bit more substance to them than for instance, the side quests quote, quote that you do in breath of the wild, which, yeah, uh, which I never really do too many of those. I mean, a lot of those are really tedious anyway, just in terms of what you have to do to complete them, but go get me some apples and roast them and bring them back to me. Yeah. And that's, that's all just like, really, that's only for people who see, uh, who see items in their journal and just want to clear them out. Yeah. And so anyway, Skyward Sword handles its side quests better than that. But uh, so, yeah, definitely got up to some stuff there. Tried. <laughs> I, I was I was thinking to myself, look, I'm going to go try the Bamboo Island one more time before I upgrade my sword and see if I can make anything happen there. And I, you just can't. Nope. So if anyone is able to complete the bamboo I'm chopping sure, I'm quest sure people right, do. right but i want to know if any of our listeners have completed the bamboo chopping quest with the base level goddess sword if you have please let us know on twitter or instagram or in the patreon and we will give you a shout out on the show for being extra awesome yeah 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 please do that okay let's move on to part five which is z targeting where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies mm-hmm. that we happen to there's, cross there's so many in this one yeah there there are a lot in this section matt uh who's your z targeting pick i am so tempted to go with Groose, but we have already made the rule that we can only select link zelda Groose, and impa one time each yeah so i'm not picking Groose this time saving him for later um i am going to go with um do you want scrapper yeah i was gonna take okay scrapper. so you take scrapper i, I, I was going back and forth in my mind between scrapper and the toilet hand but yeah no i think you can have scrapper um i will have to pick gaypora our wonderful headmaster um dude is an encyclopedic knowledge of like random ancient history and he's got killer eyebrows um very much appreciate not only the fact that he has this encyclopedic knowledge, but he literally doesn't even blink at the fact that his daughter just went back in time. Like we tell him this whole story and he's like, Oh, that must be so hard for you, Link. Like, dude, your daughter is literally hundreds of years in the past. No, don't finish that off. Here, just pour the rest in there. Um, and he's just like, yeah, that must be hard for you, Link. Like, man, either dude's stone cold or he just like has a deep appreciation of Link's, uh, at this point unspoken love for zelda yeah definitely maybe not the father of the year yeah it was definitely i feel like personally i don't have kids but like i feel like if 
even if Sawyer was like randomly hundreds of years in the past, I would have a little more of a reaction than, oh, that sucks. I don't know. Yeah. But still, encyclopedic knowledge, killer eyebrows. Um, he's got a cool sash. I want that sash. He does have a cool sash. Yeah, like no his, doubt. Or is it a scarf? Yeah. I'm going with sash. Well, it's really interesting because, uh, so obviously we've got lots of different versions of Zelda and Link and Impa in, in lots of different Zelda games. Um, Gaipora is a character that does have a lot of different versions in a lot of different Zelda games under different names, but they all kind of fill the same role. They tend to be kind of like the king character, basically. So, mm-hmm. so or the, or the or the wise guide, like yeah, he, he so, reincarnates as an owl most yeah, of the time. So, yeah, so it's uh, you know you've got the owl slash um, Raru in Ocarina of Time, or you've got King. Uh, Daphnis Nohansen Hyrule from also known as the boat. Yeah. Also known as the boat from Wind Waker. You've got King Rome from Breath of the Wild. And yeah, so there are various versions of this character and uh, yeah, they're all neat in their own way. Mm, I totally agree. Yeah. So yeah, like Matt said, mine was Scrapper. I think he's just a fun little robot character and he's got a lot of personality. I think it's really fun because um, I, again, I appreciate so much about the world building of the Lanayru mine area and having one of those robots be in Skyloft and working for you, I think is a fun little plot device. And yeah, yeah, I giggle to myself every time he calls Link Master short pants. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm glad you think that's funny. I'm, I'm happy for you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I take my chuckles where I can get them. <laughs> for sure. Um, and then I guess we'll just give an honorable mention to Toilet Hand for being a wonderful recurring character. And uh, also a very creepy lover. Yeah. Um, Toilet Hand and Colin, may you be happy together forever, especially because I don't think that Colin has any choice. He really doesn't. He's now haunted by a horny Toilet Hand. Cool. Glad we could do that for him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Let's get into part six, which is our final thoughts. Matt, wrap this thing up for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think we'll have to just go back to the thing we've kind of been saying throughout this entire episode right is this section of the game while mechanically fairly weak has probably one of the worst boss fights of all time um it is a narratively important piece of the game that sets up the second act um in a pretty strong way gives you good direction um and sets you on the path to creating the most iconic recurring item in all of zelda Also, this section of the game really highlights one of the main strengths of Skyward Sword, which is its character creation and um, character development. So um, some high highs and some very low lows in this section. Yep, that sounds about right to me. This has been the Sacred Realms Rundown. We will, of course, be back next week with another installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown, covering truly an excellent section of the game, Ancient Cistern, The Water Dragon, uh, Lake Floria, all that stuff. Man, I'm excited for next week. Next week is going to be so much fun. I've been looking forward to this since we talked about doing Skyward Sword on our podcast. Like yeah. this upcoming section of the game is probably my second favorite in the entire saga of Skyward Sword. Yeah, I mean, really, the next few weeks are just kind of a nonstop roller coaster of amazing storyline and dungeons and momentum building, all leading up to. The crashing halt that is the Tad Tones Kill Me Now section of the game. Uh, so. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, we have a lot of fun stuff before we get to that. So, yep. Yeah. Next week's going to be fun. All right. Matt, this has been a good one. I mean, look. For sure. We got more than an hour out of it, and I feel like we should win an award 
for that, if nothing else. I think our award was the whiskey that we've been drinking tonight. You want to tell the people what we're drinking tonight? We've been drinking actually probably my personal favorite uh, bottle that I've got on my shelf, which is Nikka from the Barrel whiskey. It's a little Japanese concoction, and I'm a big fan of it. Absolutely. So I think that was our reward for tonight. It's delicious. Yep. <sighs> Matt, been fun. It has been fun. We've been a good. We always have a good time, Lyndon. Even when we have to cover some not super fun sections, um, it's been a lot of fun. We do have a listener mail if we want to cover that. Yeah, why don't you read that one off for us? So, listener from uh, listener mail from our friend Drew. We're over five months in on this journey through Hyrule and its associated worlds, so I'm curious how it's been creating and producing your own show. Has the experience measured up to your expectations? Were there any misconceptions you had when Sacred Realms kicked off that have been exposed? Did you have any mentors who gave you pointers? What have you learned since starting the podcast? Well, I think to to answer one of your questions – sorry, will you read it again? I want to make sure I'm hitting all the yeah, points. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I'll just give you the bullet points. Has the experience measured up to what we expected going in? Um, Were there any misconceptions we had when we started out that have since been shattered? Have we had any mentors who gave us pointers? And wrapping all of that up, what have we learned since we started? Well, I would say for starters, our expectations were one have been exceeded. If for no other reason than because Matt and I weren't sure when we started this that this would even take off in any way whatsoever or that anyone would want to listen. For sure. I mean, like there was a point where we were like, at at what point do we say enough is enough and we just kind of cut our losses? Is that 50 listens a week? Is that 100 listens a week? Like where do we draw the line at what is worth the time investment? And right now we're averaging over 500 downloads a week. Um through our various episodes, we're getting really great engagement from you guys and you know, on Twitter and on Instagram. We're getting good conversation and you guys are making this journey a lot of fun for us. So I definitely would say that our expectations have been vastly exceeded simply from the fact that you guys are enjoying this journey as much as we're enjoying creating it for you. Yeah, I think you and I always knew that we were going to enjoy doing this. And I think that that has been true. I mean, we're having a lot of fun just in the making of this show. Absolutely. I, I, I can't think of a single time that we've sat down to talk talk about Zelda where we walked away not saying that was a great episode we had a good conversation we had a good time even when we have to cover some not fun sections it's always fun to just talk about it and even talk about how sometimes they're not fun yeah um in terms of like mentors who are who who may or may not have been helping us in figuring out how to do this I we don't have anybody that we've been personally talking to who's a podcaster who's been giving us tips and pointers on how to run a podcast. I will say that a lot of inspiration in how the show is structured was taken up front from the fact that I do listen to quite a few video game podcasts, just podcasts in general. So a lot of it was just kind of trying to implement things that they were doing that I enjoyed and making them you know, retrofitting them to fit within the structure of the story we wanted to tell, which is the ongoing journey of playing through Zelda games. I mean, you know, I listen to kind of funny games daily every week, and there's a few Formula One podcasts I listen to. I listen to Triple Click with Jason Schreier, Kirk Hamilton, and Maddie Myers. And um, so there's a lot of excellent podcasts out there that may or may not be video game adjacent and took a lot of inspiration from those. And so that was very helpful in getting this started up and just kind of knowing how to structure an episode and to try and keep it within a certain time limit. Mm-hmm. And it's been really fun where we have to you know think about, for example, the Skyward Sword has been one that's challenged our preconception of how to structure this uh, 
these episodes, right? Where we've always thought about what if we just played a, a dungeon at a time and talked about it? Well, Skyward Sword has made it to where we can't do that necessarily week over week. So we've had to shift a little bit, which has been fun, where we've had to kind of be creative in how we break the game apart. We look at the game less um, less section by or less um, less cookie cutter. And and give it room to breathe where we know that we have stuff to talk about. And I think we're going to be challenged again when we come to Breath of the Wild, when we come to Majora's Mask, when we come to, you know, the NES games, the Super Nintendo. Like when we come to games like that, we're going to have to be creative in how we do that. So that's going to be a fun challenge for us, for sure. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely true. Um, let's see. What, what else was there? So let's see. We covered... We covered misconceptions that have been shattered. We covered mentors, um, experience. So just what have, what have we learned? I think overall what we've learned is that just in terms of how do we create a product that people enjoy and want to listen to, the answer really is just um, lean into the fact that Matt and I have rapport and we enjoy talking about these things together and also lean on the fact that we have a, a great network of guest hosts – that are, I think, fun to listen to. They bring interesting, differing perspectives mm-hmm. and from from a lot of different disciplines and standpoints, and that's been a, a huge asset to us. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that I specifically have learned just looking at things from a from somebody else's perspective who has maybe a more technical background like Max, who who brings in a lot of things that I have never thought about as far as how a dungeon functions the way that it does and why it's designed that way and why that resonates with some people and why it doesn't with other people. And then looking, you know, from a totally different perspective from our friend Sam, who looks at it from a Nintendo ambassador, brand ambassador standpoint, it's more similar to us, but with more depth there of just history and a broader n- knowledge of Nintendo as a company and their portfolio and being able to draw comparisons between other games that we might not have played like Luigi's Mansion and how the gust bellows are similar in some ways to you know the vacuum and, and you're drawing comparisons there that Lyndon and I don't have the background or the the context for has been really fun uh, to see these games through the different lenses that people bring to them from their own personal lives from their professional lives and things like that 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 you know again we don't we don't have Yep, couldn't have said it better myself. Excellent question, Drew. Um, I mean, really, this if I, if I wanted to put a put a cap on this whole discussion, I would just say that it's been a ride. It's been a really fun ride, and you know, we've enjoyed every minute of it. It's been very rewarding. Absolutely, I have to completely agree. Yeah, cool. Uh, you know, as always, guys, remember that if you would like to write in listener mail, that can be done. Uh, from any sub tier on our Patreon, just head over there, uh, become part of that community, and yeah, uh, just hit us up with any questions that you might have. We love getting into them and tackling them. Whew, all right. You about ready to get out of here, Matt? I'm ready to get out of here. Cool. Guys, if you enjoyed today's show and you'd like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it's not a problem. Five-star Apple Podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. 
Uh, don't forget to enter into the uh, giveaway that we're doing currently. Got another week to do that. Um, again, you can enter into that giveaway to win a set of Skyward Sword limited edition Joy-Cons by either liking us on Instagram, following us on Twitter, subbing to the Patreon, or leaving us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Send screen grabs of you doing that to sacredrealmspod at gmail.com, and you will be entered to win the Joy-Con. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Skyward Sword, Chapter 6, covering Lake Floria and the Ancient Cistern. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. Skyward Sword can be played in its original form on the Wii or Wii U, or it can be played in its HD remastered format on the Nintendo Switch. Which we highly recommend because it is awesome. It is awesome. In the meantime, guys, may your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We'll catch you guys next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.